Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Hello again. How are you? I'm good. Back in the studio here in our makeshift studio. I kind of like it though. I do. I like it. Actually, I'm sitting beside of you in, instead yeah. of in front of you. Yeah. Well, you know, I can't get the COVID from you. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you know, I mean. I can get the COVID from you. I guess you could, but it's, well, all, it's, it's all for me now. Yeah, you've you already know, I'd probably still test, time. but, you know. Anyway, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be in here, and we're at the North Carolina, South Carolina meeting recording this. and mm-hmm. uh, With our favorite guest that's today. That's right. We, uh, we have our historical series again mm. with Love Nancy Marie series. and Sandy Ouellette. Welcome, ladies. Well, it's good Thank to you. be here. It's Thank good you. to be back together again. Yes. I yeah. mean, we are across the table, six feet apart, you know, so we're, we're still good, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good to have a real meeting. You're not kidding. Even though we have to wear masks. It is. It it's is. still fun to see everybody. Mm-hmm. It is. But it's so funny, Sandy, when I came in yesterday, you know, everybody had on masks, and I'm looking going, who is that? I can't tell. And, I, you know, I said something to Stacy. I was like, you know, I can't tell who people are with their mask on. She goes, that's the only way I know them. I know. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I never thought about that. That's yeah. the way you guys always saw each that's other. Right. So. But it gives you a good out if you don't recognize somebody. Yeah. Because that that's just true. happened to me. Because I didn't yeah. recognize somebody. And I go, oh, my gosh, it's the mask. Yeah. But I, I've never seen them with the mask, honestly. <laughs> but anyway. Oh, uh, yeah, that's funny. Well, we've got another good topic. I think another important person in the mm-hmm. history of nurse anesthesia. Absolutely. And before we go on, last night in the bar, somebody did stop me and say, I absolutely love the historical series and the Courage to Lead series. Yeah, I think everybody is The Rising President of South Carolina. I actually Carolina. talked mm-hmm. to a fellow the other day that said he contacted you because of the hearing the historical series and had something, I, I don't remember his name now, but right. it's something, and he actually contacted Sandy and, and asked her a question because of it. So You know, you should uh, make our uh, email address available to folks. Oh, should, oh that's should a they, great idea. It, should they really want to contact yeah. us. That's right. Nancy yeah. and I have plenty of time on our hands. <laughs> We well, like to talk to people. I don't know, Sandy. You're, you're doing all this fishing nowadays. That's I don't right. know whether you got that's time. Right. Um, I know. Uh, yeah, that's a great idea. I'll yeah. have them, have and them then, put that out you there. you know, others perhaps may have some questions or some that's possible a great idea. topics they would like to hear. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a great yeah. idea because we just come up with another topic last night in the bar. 
Well, me I and Sandy you, and Nancy. You know what I thought you were going to say? What? Um, you Somebody stopped you in the bar and said, hey, you're that old lady that does the podcast. Because you always say, Two they old ladies these drinking two little in the old bar. ladies drinking in the bar don't I even know. know who they are. I know. Well, I can uh, tell you, at this <laughs> meeting, at least a half a dozen people, and I've only been to the sessions about two or three hours this morning, have stopped me and said they really enjoy the historical segment. Mm-hmm. That's they awesome. do. That's that good. is great. Mm-hmm. That is great. So who are we talking about this morning, Sharon? We are talking about Anne Penland. Yep. Did I say that right? Anne. Annie. 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 I thought so, but my paper says Anne. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Well, Sandy, why is Miss Annie so important? I think uh, she was honored by the state of North Carolina, and uh, and we'll talk about that later in the in the podcast in 2017, I believe. And Nancy and I and uh, President-elect Angela Munn and others Mm -hmm. were here for this ceremony right here in Asheville, right, and um, right where we're taking. And we we she's an unsung hero. If you look at Virginia. Thatcher's first history book. Mm-hmm. I think she's mentioned once in that because she she served on the front lines in World War One, and it was a journalist, um, Lou Ann Nelson, mm-hmm. that really researched her because they both were members of the American Daughters of the Revolution, mm-hmm. and um, and so she was the one that really brought this forward. And otherwise, we would not have known very much about her. But but she. She has a wonderful history, and I'm glad that we can share that with you today. Yeah. So she she was a pioneer, and uh, Nancy, why don't you tell us a little bit about maybe her early life? Well, she was born here in Asheville, North Carolina, and she was born on January 22nd, 1885, which, by the way, happens to be my sister's birthday, but she well, wasn't born in 1885. What meant you were born when? <laughs> But she was the was the daughter of a banker. His name was William Henry Penland, and her mother was Mary Blair Penland. And her mother was a daughter of a hotel owner. Mm-hmm. So. But they had three daughters, and the middle and the youngest one, Annie and Margaret, left Asheville to go to nursing school in New York City. And this was before 1910. Now, Margaret studied at St. Luke's Hospital, and Annie went to nursing school at Columbia Presbyterian. And again, this was around 1912. Now, Annie became the first graduate of the school's six-month postgraduate program in nurse anesthesia after she became a nurse. But the father did not send these girls to New York with his blessing to become nurses because he told them that all nurses ever did was change bedpans. So that was not what his dream was for his daughters. Mm -hmm. So, But Annie felt if she stayed in Asheville, she would end up an old maid librarian, and she couldn't stand the thoughts of that. Mm -hmm. Now, oddly enough, the Asheville Library, as well (laughs) as the historical marker about her, is now located where her family home once stood. So, although she wasn't a librarian, it certainly followed her oh, through her life. That oh, is my funny. Goodness. Yes, oh. and uh, you know her family. Uh, her father was a very wealthy person, mm-hmm. um, and so they had a really big house mm-hmm. uh, where the library and an apartment complex now stands. And I think when I think about Annie, who just did not want to be that old maid librarian, I think. Darling, we, we didn't make you that, but we brought you home as close as we could. <laughs> and, and 
your markers right there by the Asheville Library. <laughs> and, and I hope some people at this meeting, in fact, uh, if we can get it announced, will get out and maybe see that marker. Because to my knowledge, yeah. she may be the only nurse anesthetist that's ever been honored by the state of North Carolina. Because it's a big deal to right. get a highway marker. It is. It's a it big is. It marker. It is a huge and, deal. Uh, and, and so that, that was really good. Don't they have a tour today or something? Maybe they can drive the beer the, tour. The, the beer tour <laughs> yeah. bus down towards the uh, Actually, that's probably not a bad a idea. idea. It isn't. Yeah. So they ought to do that, Sharon, if huh. you put a bug in somebody's uh, ear for that. Yeah. So what do we know about her travel to Europe and her work administering anesthesia on the front lines in France and Belgium during World War One? Okay, and April, and she ha- couldn't have been that far out of school, right? I mean, no, she no. finished at nineteen twelve, so now the war starts in nineteen fourteen. Yeah, something like that. And and uh, so it was in April in nineteen seventeen that she volunteered to serve in the Great World War One with a group of sixty seven other healthcare professionals uh, from Presbyterian, which is now known as Columbia Presbyterian mm-hmm. in New York. My studies show that she became the first nurse anesthetist to serve on the front lines. And uh, a real gift that Annie left to us, and I have a copy of it at home on my computer, is her 83-page diary uh, that she started writing when she left on the ship to go to Europe and uh, finished it as she was coming home. I think she finished it on her birthday. Now, as to be in the first nurse anesthetist on the front line, I'm not quite sure of that because there were other nurse anesthetists in mm-hmm. what they call the CCS, the casualty clearing stations, <coughs> okay. of which Agatha Hodgins was one. Okay. She was there with uh, Dr. Kreil mm-hmm. from Cleveland, mm-hmm. and they weren't far apart, as we'll talk about later in this. Uh, whether they knew each other or not, I, I don't know, but they were close together. There's evidence of them being close together. But her 83-page diary uh, is really uh, interesting to read, and and that brings us back to you know, what are people going to know a hundred years from now about what you did? It won't be what we said. It'll be what we wrote. Mm. And we can look at that diary and go back and for a minute put ourselves in the life of Annie Penland Mm -hmm. as she was making this journey. So it began in in May of 1917, uh, the day that the group boarded the St. Louis for a voyage to an unknown English port. Now, just think about that. A young girl Hmm. at that time by herself taking off to an an unknown port with a Hmm. world war raging. Took a lot of courage. And she come from a wealthy family. That's right. And her father never wanted her here. Remember that? And probably didn't talk to her. (laughs) Right. But, um, but, and she says in her diary, she spent much time during the crossing sick. And she didn't know if it was from the typhoid vaccines they gave them right before they left or it was a motion of the ship. I guess they didn't know about the scopolamine right. patches back then. Right, I was thinking then. the exact uh, same I, I wished I could have been there to help her with that, with my deep-sea fishing experience. Uh, it's like you never leave home without it. Right. Uh, uh, but anyway, they, they're very good. On May uh, 22nd, so they left on the 14th, and they caught the first sighting of Great Britain when they saw what they called the bull, the cow, and calf islands. Mm-hmm. And this was off the, uh, the English coast. So they had arrived, and now you're there. What do you do? Well, of course, even then, you go sightseeing. So, Nancy, what did she see when she was sightseeing? Well, they stayed at the Great Western Hotel in Liverpool, 
And they took an express train to London where they saw Westminster, the Tower of London, and went to the theater. So even though there was a big war, there was a theater, and they went to it. So they were hosted for tea at the United States Embassy by American-born lady um, Randolph Churchill and the U.S. Ambassador Walter Hines Page. So the group sailed again after this in such haste that they had no time to get passports. So she spent an entire morning in London waiting for her passport. So they left the United States without any passports. And so they spent the entire morning in London waiting for her passport. And it was indignant. It cost her two whole dollars to get her passport. I wonder what that means in today's money, Jeremy. Well, she was indignant. She was indignant about it, although her father was rich, but, you know, it must have been a lot of money. Well, I'm sure he wasn't time, sending so her the, pa- no, the money no. for her passport to go to war. <laughs> no, he wasn't speaking to her. So anyway, but she felt it should have been free because she was on government business. So, And she was really, throughout the diary, several times she mentioned about having to pay that $2 for that passport. <laughs> I mean, she, she never forgot that. So have you actually... Did, did you read her diary? I read the whole thing. You read yeah, her I've, diary? Yeah, I've got it, I think, in hard copy and electronic on my computer at home. Oh, my gosh. I would like to read that. Yeah, it's, it's very good. It was $42.66. Okay. okay. That's about what it would be now. Probably to get a passport, yeah. maybe a little bit more. But anyway, uh, about the work as an ursinesthetist during the war, a few days after arrival in Great Britain, they were taken to a base hospital in a Norman village on the English Channel. They found that customs in the UK limited the administration of anesthesia to physicians only, as it still does, still does. by the way. Um, but working with her mentor and surgeon who really took her over there, William, I don't know if they call him Bill, but William Dorsch, Annie continued to administer anesthesia. Just because they felt she shouldn't be administering anesthesia in the UK didn't bother her at all. That's what she came there for, mm-hmm. and that's what she continued to do. And in July 2017, her unit was deployed to the front line to what would be known as the uh, Battle of Passchendaele, I guess that's the way you pr- pronounce it, which was a very bloody, uh, bloody war during that time. And she used chloroform and ether often. Can you imagine, folks? Chloroform wow. and ether. But people were watching her, as they did Agatha Hodgins at mm-hmm. Lakeside years later. She was so successful with her work that the British decided to train their own nurses during this time uh, for service and thus relieve several hundred doctors for medical and surgical work. Isn't that interesting? That is very interesting. I mean, here you are in an emergency situation, and we're good enough for an emergency, just like during the pandemic, we're good enough for an emergency, but not good enough for everybody. It's day. all relevant, isn't it, Sharon? Is it Because not this the truth? removal of supervision and full scope of practice happened during the pandemic. Yes. And now, back to business as usual, we're fighting to keep it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just doesn't make sense. And in January of, of 1918, she was given the job of training UK nurses as anesthetists, and she did this for the rest of her time in France. Uh, her father, by then, 
it's noted, was very proud of Annie. And <laughs> Now he'll talk to her. And she later learned that he was sending her letters to the n- local newspaper in Asheville for publication. Ah, well, yeah, so isn't that interesting? Complete about face sure. they did there. But you know what? Going back to what we were just talking about, this is why it's so important to look at history. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's yep. repeating itself over and over. And maybe one day we'll learn from it. But I digress. Yeah. So please go on. (laughs) Okay, so the lessons learned from her er uh, 83-page diary. That's over 100 years later. And as I went through that, and uh, Nancy did, we found several things. One, it was the (coughs) art of anesthesia in those days. If you looked at some Hmm. of the techniques she used, it was brutal, really. I mean, even I came a number of years later, and I thought we were pretty... Uh, basic too but but this was something she talked her patients to sleep mm-hmm. and the british loved the sign of her low distinctly feminine southern voice mm-hmm. they loved to hear annie talk to them asleep mm-hmm. and would drift off without a struggle she did report in her diary on her new anesthetic formula and technique she learned from the physicians this is scary Mm-hmm. <laughs> that it was from the physicians or the formula <laughs> but the formula was chloroform 1cc ethyl chloride 5cc's which was very lethal and ether 24cc's holy cow um, she stated in her diary that the face was is covered I'm quoting this with a layer of flannel Anesthetic mixture is um, poured on a small piece of double-thick flannel and placed on top of the layers on the face. So the entire face is then covered, but then they would, uh, with old muslin, tightly held in place by Esmark bandage. I guess that's that a wonder they didn't smother them. I know. <laughs> I mean, do they, but they had that little mask underneath it, or no, mm-hmm. just no, on the face. This fl- is the muslin. That was just it, because you know I've got Miss Bun's old ether masks. Yeah. I have them in a, a they, they didn't shadow have box. Those yet. They didn't have those yet. I don't think they had those yet. And so what they would do with the muslin, because of the fullness, they would kind of puff it up, you know, over oh, like the nose, bunch it up like so the, they do our mask breathe. Now. Yeah, and then they would make a small hole in it so they could get air. I know what happened. The reason it worked is because they went to sleep from CO2 That's exactly (laughs) what I was thinking. Well, think about this, because this is 1917, going on 18. That was the first. Also, just think about the world at that time. They were having a pandemic Mm -hmm. at that time. Very close to that time, for sure. Wow. Yeah. Now, through her diary, I think what I gleaned from it is the nest today can relive her life, the victory, uh, the defeats that they Uh faced in the Great War. Uh, She speaks of trench warfare, mustard gas attacks, nighttime air raids, barbed wire, and endless rain and mud, which created a nightmare for all. There was waist-high mud that trapped men and horses alike to the point that they couldn't even get them out. If a horse fell in a shell hole, it sank to its neck. It had to be shot as they couldn't pull it out. Mm. Just that was in certainly, the mud. That mm-hmm. was certainly 
uh, something that would be ingrained on your life forever. But just think how deep it had to be right. for a horse to be in the mud up to its neck. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Wow. I guess it would be like quicksand. The more that you would fight, the more mud. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Her diary does, uh, it recounts a lot of things. Some of them are happy, some of them are very sad. Uh, she talks of the hospitals being shelled, friends and co-workers were injured, some of them were killed. But there were some happy moments, which Sandy's going to talk about. I get the sad moments. She talked, <laughs> she talked of, um, of the Christmas parties they had, mm-hmm. of uh, <clears throat> weddings, field days, and concerts for patients. Uh, she left us wonderful visions of dining on lobster, can you imagine, hmm. and strawberries and champagne, of visiting battlefields, of exploring abandoned trenches to collect spent shell casings. Now, that sounds very dangerous to me. That, <laughs> we, yeah. we hope they were spent. Yes. Uh, and she leaves us descriptions of little amateur theaters um, and the concerts and the roles played by doctors, nurses, and patients, and baseball games with medical personnel and recovering patients. And, you know, to me, that helps us know that even in the worst of times, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the human spirit can find the best of times to yeah. divert your attention from that and, uh, and find ways to relax. <clears throat> Fourteen times in her diary, she mentions chocolate. Oh, something's she never loved changed. Chocolate, and um. in fact, when I spoke as a keynote speaker for her uh, from ANA for her a memorial service, and we'll talk about that at the end uh, that we had here in Asheville, they gave me as a gift chocolate. Chocolate, yeah, mm. from in memory of Annie Penland. And after one deployment to the front, she mentioned the thing that pleased her most was the sight of chocolate again. <laughs> that she, she, was really, um, she was really focused on chocolate. I don't have a problem with that. No, me either. In fact, there's a great chocolate place up here called Chocolate Fetish. If you get a chance, check Where, it out. Is it close? <laughs> it, it's not far. You can, it's probably walkable from here. It's downtown. Oh, nice. Sandy, both the ANA founder, Agatha Hodgins, and Annie Penland served on the front lines in France during World War I, as I understand it. Um, do you think they knew each other? Was there any evidence that showed that they did? Um, yes, but not any direct evidence. Okay. They were very close in these casualty clearing stations on the front line. Hmm. So what we find in, um, in Annie's 83-page diary, Agatha was clearly going through the same thing because mm-hmm. they were up there together. And the reason I say that I can believe they were close is at one time a Lieutenant Osler – he was 21 years old, 
and he was the son of the famous uh, Osler, a physician from the United States, was brought in pulseless. He had penetrating wounds of the chest and the abdomen, and she describes this very clearly in her diary. When her mentor, Dr. Derrick, recognized who he was, he sent for Major Brewer, another physician, George Crowell, and that's who uh, Agatha came to the front lines with, and Major Harvey Cushion. Remember the famous neuro mm-hmm. person, uh, Cushion. In fact, Cushion was the one, when Crowell came back from the front lines after being there two months, encouraged him and Agatha to stay, Agatha to stay and teach. Now, all of these Redan physicians were at a, uh, a casualty clearing station nearby and knew his father. So they all arrived. So it, it had to be just within miles. Mm-hmm. So Major Derrick operated, assisted by Major Brewer, and Major Cushion kept his finger on the pulse and gave a few drops of ether. So the, the neuro, neuro guy was the anesthetist. And Dr. Crowell's role was to transfuse the patient. Uh, the operation lasted 30 minutes, but unfortunately, the patient uh, died uh, the next morning. And that left a mark, too, on Annie because she recorded in her diary, it isn't often in a small countryside so many famous surgeons could be brought together in such a short space of time. So they all were there. And, but whether she ever knew Agatha Hodgins is unclear. There's nothing in the history that I've ever found that she did. She also stated about this event It is a glorious thing to give one's life for one's country, but how utterly sad such numbers of lives being sacrificed in strange land with no loved ones there. What grief and agony to those awaiting at home. And does that not bring us back just to the last few weeks with 13 of our servicemen killed Mm -hmm. uh, in Afghanistan as we were uh, trying to to leave that country in our longest war, really. Yes, uh, 20 20 20-year war. Mm -hmm. So what you say, Sharon, is certainly true. What goes around comes around, and some things just never change. Mm -hmm. It's human nature that we get into these events, and there's sadness, uh, but people also find some levity and happiness in these events as well. Mm-hmm. So was she ever recognized for any of her work during World War One? I? I mean, she was a female, so it probably took a while <laughs> to be recognized. But so Nancy, can you tell us a little bit about that? She was recognized. Uh, she was recognized by the Director General of the Royal Army Medical Service. And in what he said to her, and this is quoted, Dear Miss Penland, as you are probably aware, it has been decided by Sir Arthur Sloggett, Director General of, of Royal Army Medical Services, that a number of nurses and nursing aides shall be trained in the administration of anesthesia for service in the casualty clearing stations. Now, that's scary when you're going to have nurses' aides, you know, but anyway. Um, the now they're AAs. <laughs> 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 this department will liberate medical men for other duties, and in this way will be of great assistance in relieving the strain upon medical services due to shortage of medical <laughs> oh, men. well, there we have it. Mm-hmm. Very critical. <laughs> uh, the suitability of nurses for this important work was made evident in the authorities 
by the practice demonstration of efficiency in the administration of anesthesia by you and some other American nurses in the CCSs and base hospitals in France. I think it right I should inform you of the high appreciation which we all have of the splendid services you are rendering the wounded and medical service in taking the place of medical <laughs> officers <laughs> whose services are urgently needed for other work. Oh, it's wow. important to note this is powerful. It is really powerful. So this was written to her in, on November 29th, 1917, and it was later published in the American Journal of Nursing. Mm -hmm. And if you go back and find a copy of that journal in 1918, Mm -hmm. you will find this letter uh, to her. And I have a copy of it in the brochure Mm. uh, for her ceremony on this historical marker. But she also was honored by the North Carolina Association of Nurse Anesthetists. She was given posthumously a Life Achievement Award. Mm -hmm. So she was honored years later. Yeah. yeah, see, she, it only she wait, listen, it takes a while, Sharon. <laughs> listen, listen, it's only going to take you ladies a hundred years for people know who you are. We're, we're almost there, <laughs> and we won't be there. I know like that she wasn't, but look at the bright side your voices are forever memorialized, enshrined, <laughs> memorialized forever. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. So, Sandy, what happened after the war with her life? Okay, so um, Annie received her honorable discharge on April 10th, 1919. And she traveled immediately to Chattanooga, where her parents had gone to stay with her sister Margaret. Uh, Margaret was an OR nurse at Erlanger Hospital in Tennessee. Her father had died in 1919, uh, May 1, and she returned to Columbia Presbyterian and resumed her career there. Uh, she taught a class on operating room techniques and became chief nurse anesthetist at uh, Columbia Presbyterian, a job she held until her retirement until 1952. Wow. And um, That wasn't that long ago, folks. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. No, I mean, it wasn't in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. But. So, how did we learn about Annie? And it really did not come from anybody within our profession. And to give you how, uh, a little bit about how I found out about her, uh, Luann Nelson is a regent in the Edward Buncombe chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution. Hmm. And she learned about Annie Penland in 2013. Now, Luann Nelson is an investigated uh, research journalist mm-hmm. here in Asheville. And she got in contact with the niece of Annie Penland because both of them were in that same chapter because mm-hmm. Annie was a member of the American Daughters of Revolution as well. So she was the daughter of uh, Annie's younger sister, Margaret. And Margaret sent a copy of the diary and war pictures 
to Nelson. Now, they, they, she sent a copy because the original diary and photo album that belonged to Annie Penland was donated to the Imperial War Museum in London. And that's where it is right now. So Luann said, uh, and I quote, reading Annie's own words was captivating, full of life, self-confident about her work, extremely conscientious of the cost of things. Like that passport. (laughs) Like that passport. (laughs) And and seemingly unafraid of almost anything. She -hmm. remains a pioneer of distinction today. And some things that uh, Luann mentioned in her diary that maybe I overlooked because I was more focused on did she really know Agatha Hodgins and how Mm -hmm. close were they and this and that. Annie took French in high school but found it of little use, wouldn't we all, Yeah. uh, when we got to a place like that. And she found a local woman to give her French lessons while she was there. Now, how she had time for that, I have absolutely no idea, but she did. She was blunt about what she did not like. Her principal gripe were that nurses were sent to France with white uniforms, impossible (laughs) to keep clean. True. It was either mud or dust all the time. And she had mentioned with glee, they were later replaced with gray chambray. chambray. She was also unhappy about they couldn't fraternize uh, and rules that prevented nurses from dancing with recovering patients at parties. She thought there should be none of that. Doctors and nurses and patients that could walk and dance, they should all be mm-hmm. partying together. Oh, and, wow. Uh, an opinionated nurse and That's right. That's what? right. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I mean, have you ever heard it? of such a thing? Never. Never. <laughs> and uh, Luann states that she became resolved that Annie Penland, who never married, had no children, and did not even have an obituary in the Asheville paper, would no longer be forgotten. And she began looking for ways to make her life remembered. And Luann finally settled for a North Carolina historical marker in Asheville. And in talking with her, she said it was a labor of love. She said it was like writing a research paper to get mm-hmm. through all the hoops you had to go through to get this marker. The only qualified person she could find to provide an endorsement was the archivist at Columbia University Medical Center, who had never heard of Annie, but did provide Luann with her many years of academic and employment history at that institution. The state required three historian endorsements, but the only one that they had was from Luann, and they did accept that. And so, so Nelson was the only person who knew her, and she said, in spite of all that, she heard from the state in six weeks Hmm. after it was submitted, and it was approved. So there was a ceremony plan in Asheville on September 16th uh, in, uh, in 2017. And um, the way I found out about it is I got a call one day from ANA's Senior Director of Public Relations and Publications, Chris Betton, and he told me a little bit about this, and he said, you're invited to give the keynote address this. I knew nothing about the American Daughters of Revolution. I knew nothing about Annie Penley. I just knew nothing about... You had about heard it. about the American Daughters of the Revolution. No, not, much, not much. Not really? much. I really... No, you know, I didn't. when I was in high school, you could apply. They had a scholarship, right. but mm-hmm. you had to provide evidence right. of somebody who was in the Revolution. Right. And, and I did, but it was uh, on my mother's side, and he was a deserter. <clears throat> so I didn't qualify. Oh, wow. Well, I didn't qualify. And, you know, when Chris... <laughs> when Chris... 
when Chris called. Am I surprised? Oh, oh wait, wait, wait. The story gets better because the one that he was, he ran with another guy, right? Well, I dated this guy one night. We're at the drive-in movie theater, and he was a big historical buff, and we're talking about history, Number one, his daddy could not believe you that must, he took me to the drive-in theater and we talked about <laughs> history. You must he have was, been bored. He was five years, well, I wasn't putting out, I guess, so we had to talk <laughs> or, or watch the movie. But I told the stories that I had heard from my great-grandmother, and he told stories. We figured out our great-great-great-grandfathers were deserters together. <laughs> they ran together. Is that not the strangest That's thing? Crazy. Isn't that crazy? Well, anyway, I, I, I never, digress. I never do anything about it, Sharon, but like you, I, I probably wouldn't be a candidate either because <laughs> on my mother, mother's side of the family, they grew up on Hatteras Island mm-hmm. in Hatteras Village. And so oh. my background is people that washed ashore in pork barrels from those shipwrecks, <laughs> fell on their knees and kissed the sand and never left again. <laughs> and also uh, pirates, Blackbeard. Yeah. So I, I would hate to dig too deep. deep. Yeah. Plus it was isolated. It was isolated. Hatteras Island at yeah. that time. Can yeah, you imagine? Now, have you done the like the human genome? Or, no, some uh, of my 23? cousins have. Yeah. And, and, and then and, you'll and, find and, out that you are genetically related well, to you know, Blackbeard. It's there was a lot of intermarriage as yeah. you might people could get off the island yeah, yeah. you know yeah. and but anyway you only go so deep yeah that's right, right. background right. like that <laughs> um but anyway chris when it called i had another problem that came up my husband was sitting across in our office when i was talking to chris i had a deep sea fishing charter Uh-oh. scheduled on september 16th 2017 mm-hmm. and um so i said i've got a conflict and my husband said, no, you don't. This is important. Mm-hmm. You change the fishing charter. <laughs> this is once in a lifetime that you will have to honor <laughs> this woman from 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. And we are going. There you go. I oh. said, okay, we are going. So I did change the, the fishing charter. But the ceremony was held at the site of uh, her childhood home, which was in the Park Memorial Library and Vanderbilt Apartments. Now stand where her imposing house once stood. That burned uh, to the ground in 1903 when Annie was 18. And the service, I remember, Nancy went, was held at Lord Auditorium in uh, the Memorial Library. And those who gathered to honor her included nurse anesthetists from Asheville Mission Hospital and Western Carolina University. And there were students there. Our president, uh, North Carolina ANA president, Paul Packard, was there, as well as members representing the ANA, and that would be uh, me and my husband, Richard Willett, uh, Nancy, and Angela Munn, who was a regional two director at the time, and she came. And there was also um, Columbia graduate and uh, a nurse anesthetist, Judy Martin, and she represented the Columbia members of the Daughters of the American Revolution, of which Annie was a member from 1915 until 1974, and there were a number of, um, of local uh, history buffs and some relatives who knew little about Annie, but they also attended. They didn't know a, a whole lot about her. And the program, and I have a copy of it here, 
um, as I said, uh, they asked me to be the keynote, and I knew that Luann was going to talk about her life. So I selected the topic, the CRNA and War and Peace. Mm-hmm. And I went through all of the, uh, the wars, all the way back to the Civil War, that nurse nurses have been on the front line and have done stellar jobs. And, um, and then Luann Nelson and an actress, Callan White, did her presentation in her own words and showed uh, photo- photographs. And then Luann thanked, of course, the ANA and Chris Betton and, uh, for enlisting all the ANA representatives to attend the ceremony. So, Nancy, do you remember anything else about that ceremony? I had never been to anything like that, mm-hmm. and it was, it was certainly uplifting. Uh, they had all this music, A Soldier's Life in World War One. They had the Asheville High School Brass Quartet that was playing. Um, they, they played, of course, the Star Spangled Banner. And then uh, they had uh, in, Invocation. And then the actual uh, presentation and proclamation and the State Highway Historical Marker was presented by Dr. Kevin Cherry, who was with the North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources. And then we went outside, and uh, there's a picture that was taken of the unveiling of this marker. I never did get a real good uh, picture of the marker itself, but maybe I'll do it this time when we're in Asheville. Nancy, do you uh, remember anything else that Santa stands at? I've never seen so much red, white, and blue. Really? Oh, very patriotic Mm. group. These, well, these women are. Oh, yes. Well, all those metal things that, um, you know, that Luann had on. I, um, now, I just have to let y'all know something. I could be a member of the Ameri- of the Daughters of the American Revolution because no one did deserted from my side. That <laughs> <laughs> you know She's of, not Nancy. Right. Yeah. She's not my, rubbing it and in my, a And bit. my aunt was a member of the American Daughters of Revolution. See, there you go. <laughs> but anyway, I didn't realize they wore all those medals. I mean, she had... I guess really? stuff that she had done for, you know, to honor the... So you're making this, like, sash That's movement. what she it's had, like like the, like the Girl yeah. Scouts? Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's something like that. It's red, white, and blue, and these medals, like Nancy oh, said, yeah. and they had all these these wreaths that were red, white, yeah. and blue, and they had all the music. Wow. I mean, it that was, was really cool. something. It, you know, you just never know, Yeah. you know, yeah. what you're going to find. So exciting mm-hmm. when you do something different like this. Yeah. And yeah. It, it was certainly different for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's kind of talk about kind of the relevance of her work in the military to where we are today in nurse anesthesia. Well, Annie Penland was deployed from May 14th, 1917 to February 11th, 1919. Her last diary entry was on January 22nd, her birthday again, but now in 1919. Hmm. So, I think the diary, as I said, uh, left us a glimpse of really the art of anesthesia. There wasn't a whole lot of science to it no. that, that I could see. And also the valor of this American nurse anesthetist icon. It really, throughout the diary, talks of the tragedy of human suffering and the joy of service, helping not only um, our people during the war, but they took care of a lot of the enemy uh, during the war as well. And Annie Penland and others paved the way for things that are sometimes easy to take for granted today. They were noticed because they were competent and dedicated. And while some physicians laid claim to anesthesia as the practice of medicine following World War I, 
Frank versus South in 1917, and the founding of the National Association of Nurse Anesthesia by Agatha Hodgins 14 years later um, solidified this specialty. You know, as Nancy said, there were so many events that came together during those years, right before 1914 to 1920 or so, um, in which we got Frank versus Scythe in 1917. But nothing is good as the work done by those icons, and we've mentioned a lot of them, uh, uh, Agatha Hodgins and Helen Lamb and Gertrude Fyfe, and, and um, work that was being done not only on the front lines, but also at Mayo Clinic and at Lakeside Hospital. Mm -hmm. And people coming to these iconic places, and they're watching surgery, but they're also watching this specialist, this mm -hmm. first specialist at anesthesia, and how good they were. And think, it was hard to be that good with what they had to work with. Mm -hmm. They had no monitors. They had almost no anesthetic drugs, and yet uh, they did quite well. There's such a layering of the, the times. That's right. And yeah. all these things happening at the same time. 1917, the the court case, yeah. um, the World War. I mean, there's just yeah. the depression, the you know, so the pandemic. Yeah. Well, you know, they said I, I did a little bit of reading about the pandemic, and the reason why it kind of you didn't you don't hear that much about it. I mean, my grandparents had to know about it, yeah. but I never were taught. You know, Linda Williams' grandfather died in the uh -huh. pandemic of 1918, so she's done a lot of research on it. But they think it's because the war was ending, so that was a big deal. Um, and then you were getting ready to go into the Roaring Twenties, mm -hmm. so that's a big deal. So it just kind of got. You know, I, I think Pushed we'll be yeah, yeah we'll be talking about COVID for a lot of years. Yeah. But I guess if we had a world war layered on top of this, that might. My kid knows about it. I mean, he tells me about that Chinese man eating a bat all the time. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that's where he thinks that's what he says. He said that, that that Chinese man ate that bat. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's how we got COVID. That's yeah. how we got the COVID. And you think sometimes? Sometimes I think in my years. Um, we live in such a broken world. How can we survive another day, another month, another year with the things we see on the, the daily lamestream media, I call it. Mm -hmm. But um, at any rate, think of what these people yes. went through. Yeah, exactly. You know, they didn't, they had everything we've got and more because they didn't have the resources mm -hmm. that yeah. we have to work through these things. Right. And I think one of the, take-home messages is our daily work is noticed. Those CRNAs in the operating rooms and facilities every day, people are watching. Mm -hmm. And the future will be sustained on what one generation does for the next. And we have got to keep that work ethic. We've got to continue to be as good as we've always been or better. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing that's going to sustain us. We were talking last night uh, to some folks um, downstairs in the lobby. I'm, in well, the bar. The bar. <laughs> okay, I'll say it in the bar. And, um, and, See, and two ladies about, in a bar. They were talking about generational differences yes. yeah. and work ethic, really. I mean, I grew up with a father who was head uh, electrician in a paper mill. And they decided every year to shut down the mill for three days during Christmas in the holidays 
clean up everything, then get it started again. That was a big deal because my father was never there at Christmas. Mm. You know, they were always getting that meal running again. People today don't want to do that. They want no. balanced life, and, and I, I kind of understand that, and I won't mm-hmm. make judgment of that. But I think we hear all the time, know your worth as the CRNA. Mm-hmm. But I think we've got to also show our worth. We've got to show it every single day. Yep. And one of my hospital administrators that taught me so much, but one of the things I'll never forget, he said, nurse anesthetists, CRNAs, need to make themselves indispensable mm-hmm. in the facilities where they work. Mm-hmm. We need mm-hmm. to make it so that if we don't show up, nothing happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the way you protect it and pass mm-hmm. it on for the next generations. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we owe a debt of gratitude to Lynn Nelson for researching the history of this nurse anesthetist icon. A stranger should not care more about our past than we do. Luann presents us with a challenge to respect and preserve our history, build upon it, be proud of it, and let it assist us in our wor- our movement toward a better future. And I just want to say one thing. You know, we talk about how Annie Penland and people of her generation talked about it being the art of anesthesia. Mm-hmm. People still said that when I was in school. But I think one of the things we don't talk about anymore are the signs and stages of anesthesia. Mm-hmm. I, use, I had to learn them. Right. Well, y'all Even taught, though, y'all taught me yeah. that, and I was but, working with a little, uh, little circulator the other day, super, super sharp, and they're standing there, and the patient's waking up, and so I'm showing them eye signs mm-hmm. and watching them. You know, I'm like, see, they're not ready yet, and then when their eyes started going every which way, I go, look, we're getting closer, and then bam. But and, that's what they yeah. had. I mean, they didn't have pulse oximetry and EKGs and and all the different things we have. I mean, here they are with this mask that they made out of muslin, giving chloroform and ethyl chloride and and ether drop, and they have a hand on the pulse. But other than that, they're going by how they're breathing, what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, what they see. They couldn't mm-hmm. tell their color. They had their face wrapped up. And That's they, the truth. <laughs> I know. And they watched the blood to see if the right. color of the blood was. Wow. I mean, it was truly an art mm-hmm. that these people mm-hmm. were doing. And yeah. you have to admire them. I mean, you have to wonder how people lived, to be honest, through all of it. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's, it's what they knew. Yeah. It's what they knew. And they mm-hmm. thought that they were, you know. It's all they had. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. They, were, they were on the curve uh, of what they had. But I want to go back to another point. And Sandy used to make this point to us whenever we were in school. Uh, you're probably thinking like my dad said. Uh, my dad, whenever I was living with him and I would say something, he goes, sometimes the things I taught you I wish you had forgotten. But <laughs> you, you did always tell us someone is watching you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all forget that sometimes and behave badly. But um, I've will never forget and I went back to all the people that had influenced me about going to anesthesia school uh Joe Carol Huff y'all might remember Mm -hmm. her Mm -hmm. I can remember as a nursing student and she had a bad airway patient was black she was asking to get the CRNA it was all CRNA hospital um 
to get the CRNA from another room to come over there and help her. Of course, they secured the airway, but it just fascinated me. But watching her through that, and she's like, really, your first experience was a bad <laughs> airway and you still decided to go? And next, I was an ICU nurse, and I had a 17, I'll never forget this, he was 17 years old, and the kid was dying in front of my eyes. He had Hodgkin's, I believe it was. And they had to. Call, I had to call anesthesia to intubate him, and Ann Wise come up to intubate him. And she was just the... She was in control, wasn't she? She was something. It it almost brings tears to my eyes to remember her. She talked to him. She told him what she was going to do. And she was just so competent and amazing. Ann Wise has no recollection of this Mm -hmm. event. I've Mm -hmm. told her about it. I said, I watched you intently. (laughs) And I thought, I won't to be like this i want to be you she was amazing yeah and she had no idea i was watching her. you remember those codes that would be called and it was like the parting of the sea it, it would was be hundreds <laughs> in the room and they say anesthesia's here that's and the it. and the masses part that's the truth <laughs> and lead you to that to the airway yeah, yeah. So, well you know one one more comment about what what we need to do to respect and preserve our history and build upon it I want to give a shout out, uh, Jeremy, to you and and to Sharon, because, uh, as I said, several people have stopped me at this meeting and how much they like the historical segment. And this is probably the best, the very best way to preserve that, particularly for the the newer generations. Uh, I do know that Watchful Care 2 from 1990 until whenever it's done um, Mm -hmm. will be coming out uh, soon. So that that will be a help. And then... um, we have also got a book that's supposed to be delivered any day, on the <laughs> any day, allegedly any day now, uh, the, the global voice of nurse uh, anesthesia, and it's the 31-year history of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists, and I think that's going to be a big seller. But, uh, but it's all important that we, we do that. And for people that are listening and want additional information to supplement this podcast, it can be found, uh, I think, electronically on the ANA Journal, April 2018, and it's entitled An Unsung Hero, Annie Penland, Nurse Anestis. Mm-hmm. And it was done by Luann uh, and, and, and myself. They left my name off of it. That's not, not important. Uh, but we, we did it and got that published, so, so it's good. And there's probably many Annie Penlands out there that we mm-hmm. don't even know about, yeah. but hers is remarkable. And how we know so much about her is because of that diary. She took the yeah. time. And you know when she's writing that diary? Yeah, but aren't you afraid sometimes to write a diary? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. you afraid somebody might find it one day. I know, my kids. Yeah. Uh, my brother passed mine around the neighborhood. Oh, oh lovely. Lord. Ooh. Well, fine, fine. Well, guys, thank you. I think it's a wrap. You, you guys did a wonderful job as always, and uh, we're looking forward to continuing this historical series and, and bringing this to all our listeners. And Thank you for all you're doing and all you have done, both of you. Always a pleasure. And we're smart enough not to wait 100 years. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) All right, Sharon, let's wrap it up. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to help it grow, what are the ways they can do that, Sharon? They can like us. They can share us. and But most importantly, leave us a review. Right, because the algorithm... Mm -hmm 
bumps us up by reviews, and yes. we didn't know that until lately. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, but only if it's positive. <laughs> because we got enough negativity in this world. Until next time. It's a wrap. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.